Hey, Robert. Hi, Yaron. It's been a while. We haven't done one of these in a long time. It has been. Other stuff keeps coming up. Well, hopefully uh, this is the beginning of uh, of us returning to, uh, to systemically doing these, regularly doing these. So um, we thought we'd talk today about learning and how people learn, and in particular kind of the the institutions that we built around learning, our educational institutions, schools, and uh, and uh, whether that is the optimal way indeed to learn. And in this context, what does ingenuism have to say about, about learning? Well, learning is an important distinction in ingenuism, and it's a little bit convoluted because when we think about organizations, you know, the our, our Assertion is that the rate that they progress, the effectiveness that they have, is based on how connected they are and uh, how much they learn, you know, and, and of course how much they forget, you know, whether their lessons that are learned actually stick. And that is, a, I think, a pretty comprehensive model for, at a very high level, for how organizations progress. But when we talk about individuals, because you know that applies to small organizations, applies to big organizations. When we talk about individuals, the terminology it isn't quite lining up because for individuals, the idea of learning uh, is equally important and the idea of connection is equally important, but connection and learning end up getting conflated because how you are connected to the rest of the world as an individual is a function of the traditional type of learning that we do in school. So how much you know about what other people have done, what questions they're asking, what answers they've found, that, that kind of learning is really connection at the individual level. But we tend to think of that as learning, but learning in ingenuism at all levels is really about exploration and discovery. So you've got learning what's already known, and that really is connection. And then there's learning new insights, and that is, and then, you know, being sharing those, and that is how you get progress. Just people learning what other people know doesn't move the ball forward. People learning what other people know and then adding something new to that is what it what creates progress. So well, it moves the ball forward for the individual, right? Because you're learning something you didn't know before. And to make somebody else's knowledge your own, you have to do work. So it's not a passive process because you have to integrate it into your knowledge and you have to, in a sense, prove it to yourself because we don't want to just accept knowledge. It's a question of whether our educational system encourages that versus just sucking it in. But it does move the individual forward and it, allows then the individual to build on top of the knowledge that they have something else. I think ultimately it does move even. Well, that's exactly the point is then we think about learning uh, material that other people or insights that other people have had. And the way that we traditionally think about it is do we learn it, you know, long enough to get it right on the test? But that's not, yeah. uh, that's not what connection and learning is. And, and you hit the nail right on the head is, they, these two are not really distinct, which is why it's easy to get them entangled and fall on the wrong side of the fence, where you really have to take what you learn and to master it, you have to use it. 
And using it doesn't mean being able to, to get an A on the test. Using it means actually applying it to what you care about, what you're trying to do. And that's where the exploration discovery comes in. So they're entangled. They're entangled in the model of ingenuism and they're entangled in practice. And we end up being very focused on a particular type of learning because that's what we've done since we were you know, four years old. And we forget that when we were you know, one year old or two years old, we were completely, you know, the natural human condition is, is to the more genuine learning. You know, when you learn to walk, you don't read a book and study and then take a test and then forget about how to walk. You fall, you fall, you fall, you fall until you don't fall anymore. Uh, and that's what is at the core of ingenuism. And that's, that's what, you know, I'm going to assert should be at the core of an educational system. Yeah, and I, I, and I think that um, one of the things I like about Montessori uh, is that I think Montessori basically has embraced that principle you know, 100 years ago and, and created an educational system. When, when it's practiced right, there is no um, learning through, I'm telling you this, this is, this is now knowledge. It, all knowledge for these kids is discovered. It's by them, quote, playing using kind of the the materials that Montessori actually designed so that you so that you fail right so that you fail until you get the right answer but when when you get the right answer you actually learn something from the experience and all good Montessori materials are really built around exploration and about trying different things and figuring stuff out and then maybe a teacher is then there to, to to help you in some way but but not not much in terms of uh in terms of actually you know transmitting knowledge you learn through your experiences through what you're doing anyway from writing reading to math i mean uh it, it's it particularly numbers you learn that one plus one equals two not because it's up on the board you learn from one plus one equals two because you've got a, a one thing here and a one thing here and a two thing here and oh two twigs look like two twigs right? Two is two, two equals two. So that's how you kind of learn it. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge, I, I read a lot of her books um, years ago, and I'm a huge fan of that style of education. And it's, it's like, what's, what's troubling, and I saw this with my kids, is what's troubling is when that, she developed it for, let's say, kindergarten, maybe one, first grade, but then it's like you fall off a cliff. It's like you go from that one methodology which is so focused on exploration and discovery and failure to a complete opposite methodology where you just sit in a chair and you don't move all day and you're basically told what to think. And, and, uh, and there's very little, there's almost none of that. And it's really tragic. Yeah. You have to be, I, I think you have to be really lucky. You, you know, personally, you, your kids, you, to get something that is anywhere near what, uh, an effective education system would be where learning doesn't mean acquiring facts and that's it and regurgitating them and you know maybe only even caring about being able to regurgitate them for some you know a week or a month until you're past the course you're past the test that that's that's tragic because it's not at all what real effective productive learning looks like um, and it is generally what, what we do. And it's not just, you know, someone telling you here are the answers, here are the answers, here are the answers, but they're also telling you here are the questions, here are the questions, here are the questions. And, you know, discovery is finding the answers, but exploration is finding the questions. Uh, 
And a traditional school uh, rarely does either well. I mean, I had the experience in ninth grade math. I, I happened to end up in a class because my dad was on sabbatical. So I uh, ended up in a class as a ninth grader with 10th graders doing geometry with a teacher who was committed to people discovering geometry from the base postulates. So he started the course by writing the postulates we're going to use. And then we just went through. And so what does this imply? What does this imply? And by the end of it, you know, we were calculating the distance from the top of the flagpole to the tower using basically a, a piece of string and a, and a, and a little sextant. Uh, and we were never told, you know, we were, we were told this is what you need to, to try and do, but we were never told how to get there. Uh, and that's the kind of guidance that I think when people are young is very effective is to give them some kind of goal, like point them in a direction and then let them go and let them you know, fall, let them find new paths, you know, whatever works. But uh, anything that is not including exploration and discovery isn't really learning. It's, I wish we had a different name for it and maybe we should start calling it uh, fact accumulation or you know, there's something that is fundamentally different about that style of learning. And unfortunately, as you pointed out, it's, it's everywhere, even for uh, kids who might start with something that's more related to discovery. Yeah, and I, I and it, it it it's it's definitely the, yeah, and it's a shame that kind of the ideas of Montessori have not been um, extrapolated from for I think for for older ages. It is pretty astounding when you read the list of entrepreneurs who have uh, who were educated Montessori because you know if if you learn this as a kid, maybe you hold on to some of it uh, later on in life. But anyway, from Larry Page and Sergey Brin to uh, Elon Musk to uh, Bill Gates and um, and uh, Jeff Bezos all went to Montessori schools. Now that could be random, it but could be. <laughs> it could be. But it, you know, if if we add once you start adding up the names, it it, it does look like a pattern. And if you if if we really think that early, you know, getting people into certain types of habits about how they think about the world is important to do early on then uh, maybe maybe th there's likely to be a connection. Um, so so what would you, I mean, have you given any thought to what a, a classroom, uh, an ingenuous classroom of, uh, of uh, you know, in a high school would look like? Well, I think the reason that, I, I don't think that there's a, uh, some kind of systematic attempt to do a terrible job. I just think it's very hard and it's not a question that's been, uh, that's been looked at carefully. And it doesn't fit into the historical structures. So we find ourselves in a place where we're doing the same thing we were doing. And this is at all educational levels. Uh, there was a hot second in the pandemic where it looked like, you know, there would be some real move forward in terms of the modalities. Uh, I think that's happened only outside of the traditional classroom. I think traditional classrooms have gone right back to what they were doing. Um, but if you were starting from scratch and you were starting with teenagers, uh, that that had, it, and then it's a question: Have they gone through yep. the traditional school? But I don't think it actually matters that much because you know, if you are in Montessori for a few years and then you get plugged into traditional grade school and and middle school and high school, uh, that, 
there's some, I don't know if it's a habit or it's a, a actual brain pattern since when you're that young, your, your brain is actually still developing in really fundamental and important ways, but you can relearn it. Uh, and I would assert that even adults that were never exposed to Montessori could learn it. Yep. And so you would introduce something that really forced up, up with a set of practices that forced exploration and discovery to be part of the curriculum. And that's something that, you know, one-on-one -on -one is very easy to do. You know, traditional education that we think about is actually only a couple hundred years old where you stick everyone in a classroom and, and they go lockstep through. And if you go back farther, it's a one-room school where one teacher is moving around and encouraging students at their own pace because they're all different ages. And you go back even further, you know, you, you've got much smaller number of people, a smaller fraction of people being educated. And you know, it's a Socratic method where it really is discovery. Um, and, and I think it, that that very much supported people discovering the, the basic principles of physics, of um, biology, uh, because that's all they knew was exploration. You know, there weren't books that they go read and then say, okay, now I know how everything works. And what you know is how other people think of everything works and they're going to be half wrong and half right. And I don't think that that would have been easy to do in a classroom situation until basically 2023. And the progress that the you know amazing progress that's been made in generational AI is something that could really make this available to millions of students at low cost, where they are their their whole coursework is to explore, and they have the guide in the AI to you know gently push them in one direction or the other to correct them, but without correcting them in the sense of yeah that you see why this isn't working. What is something else you can try instead of saying no, do this. Yep, uh, and that's. That's something that is very time intensive at uh, for a teacher, especially if they have a class of 20 or 30 students. But it's something that you know, I think would be wildly successful if it were implemented at any age level. And the fact that I think it really makes no difference because the whole point of the ingenuism approach is if this needs to be tried in a school and we need to see how it works and learn from it, because the first implementation is going to be 10% of the effectiveness of the final or the, the 10 year later implementation, figure out what works. Uh, but to start now, I, I don't think that starting five years ago would have made that much difference given the kind of progress we've made. You know, it would have made, it would have been a completely different model. And we would have learned about some important things, but right now, this could be implemented at extremely low cost and we because could find of AI. out how effective it is. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I think one of the great tragedies of uh, centralized bureaucratized education is that you don't get experimentation. And, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a competitive private environment where people are competing and trying to become better and um, not only because they, believe in becoming better but also because of the profit motive that always helps um that actually there you'd see a lot more experimentation and innovation and people trying different things plus parents would then become decision makers they would have to choose between schools today parents don't think about education because they can't choose between schools anyway so there's there's a a, a, a separation which i think is tragic so 
any any way we can get to schools that are experimenting, schools that are doing new things, and where the incentive structure is built around experimentation and exploration uh, is going to be a is going to be a huge plus. That's a good point. That uh, if you were to try this, it needs to be in a structure that provides feedback and the right incentives for paying attention to that feedback. Uh, you learn by trying things and failing, but if you aren't that concerned about failing, which honestly, the traditional school system at the in the aggregate level, it's this bizarre situation where probably mostly individuals care very much about succeeding, but the organization as a whole doesn't behave doesn't, as if it cares yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, but if you have that feedback, and one way to have that feedback is is by having you know real objective learning outcomes. But another way is to let the parents look at how my kids doing because it's a it's when you talk about the the, the progress of a child, it's a complex one size doesn't fit all evaluation. And maybe someday there'll be something where it's better than. It's more effective than what the parents uh, observe, but we're certainly not there today. No, and one of the problems today is we teach the tests. And if you teach the tests, even if you're successful, it doesn't mean you're successful. That is that if, if all the kids score high on the test, doesn't mean you're actually conveying anything, you're actually teaching anything. Uh, and, you know, and I would assert that just the, the whole idea of teaching to the test is so damaging. Yeah. That even if it's a very effective way to teach the facts, the fact that students leave thinking, A, facts are what matter, B, someone else is going to tell me the important questions, and C, what really matters is getting a high score. It's like having basketball players focus all of their time on you know, how to, to cheat to get the ball in the basket so they can get a high score rather than becoming physically fit and practicing. And, and, and then you end up with high scores, but nothing behind it. And I think, you know, if you look at, there's this really mixed research on uh, education. So you look at education as a, uh, a development tool where a person becomes uh, a more productive individual. Then there are certain things that, that you should see. One is if someone goes to high school, for 98% of the time, but then for some reason has to drop out right before they get their, their diploma, that they should on average be basically as successful as people who go to high school and then don't go on and get any more education because they got virtually the same amount of education. But what you find is there's a big gap. Now it could be related to the reasons why some people have to drop out at the end. So it's absolutely possible, but you see the same thing in college. You know, People go to college and if they don't finish college, they don't end up uh, making significantly more money. Uh, they end up, uh, it's almost as if they didn't go to college, even though they maybe only missed a term. Uh, and people who go to college and don't learn anything, it actually seems to be valuable to them. And so there's something about- About the diploma more than it is about the knowledge that you gain. It's a- it's There's a, it's evidence a that the diploma card. matters and that, that the knowledge you gain is, is actually worthless. Now, I don't actually think that. I think that it's a the knowledge you gain is offset by the damage that the traditional education system does to your ability to really learn through exploration and discovery. So you learn valuable facts, but you learn that learning is facts, and that's hugely damaging. Yeah, 
I think Brian Kaplan has a book on the lack of value of uh, higher education. You know, not sure I agree with all of it, but but he makes some of these points. I think in an interesting way. And he makes a strong case, and it's not an opinion. There's there's yeah. more evidence that education provides a little of systematic fundamental value and more about that it just reveals something like you're you're somebody who sticks through and finishes high school or finishes college yep all right so this is this is something we plan to do quite a bit of thinking about in terms of obviously it's key to everything to life and to into uh success as an individual but also in a larger framework uh success of um of uh culture civilizations uh businesses is, is how we learn, how to create environments that are supportive of learning. So I think we're going to keep coming back to this topic. I think that, you know, we should put our, our money where our mouth is, and we should come up with some practices that we're going to implement to make sure that we're, we're always engaged in exploration and discovery, because you know, if you look at your life, it's very easy to fall into, what did I do this week? Well, I did exactly what I did last week because I was busy. There was a lot to do. And so how do you how do you keep true learning alive even when you go old like us? And then we'll I, want my, I, I want my AI assistant to help with that. Yeah, that would be great. And we should talk about that and about who's going to program our AI assistants that will help us do that before they take over the world. I thought you were going to say we're going to put our money where our mouth is by by starting a uh, an AI educational venture, but uh, well, uh, others is, are doing that. Yeah, no, I, I'm I would be shocked if people aren't, but if no one is, then uh, they should definitely reach out and we can talk about how to work that out. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Robert. We'll see thanks, you next Sharon. week. Talk soon. Okay.